0: This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 856, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, Hoss. I'm calling everyone Hoss now. It's a whole Western thing I'm doing.
1: I try so hard, my dear, to show that you were my every dream you're afraid each thing I do is just some evil scheme. A memory from your lonesome past keeps us so far apart.
0: Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 856. I am Josh Flanagan. And this is my like, god. <laughs> don't know what I thought was supposed to happen.
1: What was that? Did you short-circuit?
0: I thought, why isn't he saying something? And I th- then I looked and I went, "As you say something." And then I thought, <laughs> you know, you have a lot of practice at this, Josh. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go get a neuropsych test after this one's over. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> we had a long, we had a longer than normal discussion between the first thing you heard and then when <laughs> this part started.
1: Normally, we go right to it. <laughs> right
0: when you were listening to the music that just ended. In our lives, only a few seconds have passed. We add time in there. This time, we will have to subtract time. Because <laughs> I
1: did we, have a conversation, which was it's true. unusual.
0: It's true. Because, you know, we got business to do. Mm-hmm. We got a show with a light lineup, and, and what I'm doing already <laughs> is saying, hey, Connor, you know that short edit you were looking forward to? Son of a bitch. Bully. <laughs> we are a fanboy. Every week, one of us picks the book they like the best from their stack of comics. That is called the pick of the week. We talk about that book. We talk about other books in the week. We talk about the patron pick. We will answer listener mail if we have time, and it is never a given. That's what I'm saying to you. There is a spoiler warning in effect. If you have not read books and you do not want us to talk about what happens in them, then you should you should let the show play through so that we still get counted for that. But you yeah. should take your headphones off or perhaps mute. In fact. If you feel like deleting and downloading it over and over and over and over and over, and over again, <laughs> you know, like, say that, say, for example, you're not an eccentric billionaire. By the right. way, what is the holdup there?
1: Seriously, uh- <laughs> get moving.
0: <laughs> Connor, you had the
1: pick. I did. And I want to make it clear to you, Josh, that I did not pick this book after you told me you didn't want to read it. Okay. I had a pretty good idea that it was already going to be the pick of the week. I had still had comics to read at that point, but...
0: I have... Follow up on that and it will be part of my discussion.
1: You were like, I don't want to read that book. And in my head I was like, well, that's probably going to be the pick because I I had read 75% of my books and it was clearly the best one, which is Batman, One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze, number one, story by Jerry Duggan, art by Mateo Scalera, who has not stopped it, and colors by Dave Stewart and Jerron Bennett on letters. And putting aside the fact that this whole One Bad Day conceit is stupid and doesn't make any sense and their whole conceit of – these are like the the definitive stories for these characters. Is also stupid. Fine, whatever. We've had four of these. Riddler was good. Two Face was bad. Penguin was boring. Mister Freeze was terrific. It's the best one so far. And this is oversized. This is like three times the size of normal comic. I love many things about this book. Number one, I don't know if I've ever heard, read Jerry Duggan do a Batman story before. Maybe he has, and I don't remember. But,
0: hey, I mean, I I can't think of anything he's done. He usually does Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not usually. I I feel like he's exclusively done Marvel and a couple of image things here and there, but could be his first.
1: Mateo Scalera, this was like a total showcase for one of our favorite artists in comics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to bury it deep down, but the Batman family is just such a disarray at the moment. I'm just assuming it's going to be for the rest of my life, in terms of new comics, that anything that feels classic, my whole heart embraces. And this feels like a classic (laughs) Batman. You know, it takes place in the past, you've got the Yellow oval Batman suit, and you've got Dick Grayson as Robin in his winter gear, and Alfred's there, matches Malone. This feels like a classic Batman story. It touches on all the elements that I love about the Batman world, and it doesn't have all the hang-ups of Damien and all the other things going on in the regular Batman books. And I just was marveling at every other page here from Matteo Scalera. There's incredible the dynamic action. There's really moody, shadow-heavy pages. There's great character work. He's been drawing... I mean, this is funny because he's been drawing a lot of Batman. He's been drawing Sean Murphy's Elseworld's oh. Batman stuff pretty regularly since he stopped doing Black Science. Is that the one he was on?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He's very well suited for the character. Yes. And the world. So they're doing one bad day at one issue a month. I don't know why this wasn't the December issue, considering the last image is mm-hmm. Bruce and Dick and Alfred and Ace the Bat Hound in front of the fire the Christmas tree. It just seemed like an. Perfect you sound December. like you ha- You
0: think that they have
1: confidence in their own ability to hit a schedule. I'm <laughs> just way. saying it was very strange. It was a Christmas story. And if, you know, why not do it in December anyway? And I love the Christmas story. I love, I love everything about this except for I could never get over the Robin R being in the center of his chest in his winter gear. It just weirds me out. I didn't see that, I don't think. That's fine. Only someone insane like me would get hung up on that.
0: I'm glad you could recognize that. Yeah, of course. So when I said I didn't want to read this, I don't like Mr. Freeze. Yeah. I kind of never have. I feel like and I genuinely feel this way is that I feel like that one episode uh that of Batman animated series, series yep. said everything that they needed to say about the character and since that time I haven't read a Mr. Freeze story, you know, that I, that I cared about. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. And and also, you know, it, what's what's that one called? Something it's his cold heart, whatever. Like that's yep. that's the deal. And you know I I get it. And, I, and, and no one's really added to it. He showed up as a side character in things and stuff. But it's just, I feel like everybody just keeps doing different takes on that same thing. Mm-hmm. And to give credit to this book, it did a different thing. And I noticed when it happened. And, and Batman was, like, raising his eyebrows at the idea of it the entire time. Because Robin's like, well, he's just sad about his wife. And he's like, yeah. And so the whole background story that's going on here is that Mr. Freeze isn't a shit because his wife died. He was a shit.
1: What this issue did was it played with your expectations from that yes. episode entirely, because that episode posits a really sad story for Mr. Freeze, and he makes him into a tragedy, and he mm-hmm. makes you feel bad for him. And here, it plays on that notion, because from Robin's point of view, as you said, he takes audience almost the audience's tact on Mr. Freeze, where Batman's like, no, 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 this guy's a psychopath. You know, they don't tip him over into, like, Joker-level evil, but he's an asshole, and he's a bad guy. And he was always an asshole, yeah. even before his wife died. And at first, it took to, a minute to calibrate that in my head, because you're good. Mm-hmm. You're right. That episode is so ingrained in people of our generation that that's Mr. Freeze. That I was like, oh, is, am I okay with this? And by the end of it, I was like, yes, I, will. I am okay with this, because he's a bad guy. He kills. I mean, people.
0: it's a better story in that way. Yeah. In that... If you take that uh, that animated series by the way, this is you have to be some old motherfuckers to have this conversation that we're having like when was that 93? <laughs> it and, was and, early and ninety three and I'm like, well, yeah. they finished 90, the character yeah. back then twenty nine <laughs> years ago but but it, like basically what I'm saying is since that time I don't feel like anybody's added anything else to the table, and they're just playing on top of that, and it gets really boring and so here it doesn't erase that story, but also is which also isn't in comic books continuity but right. it it says you know what this guy's a bad guy there's things about him that you can feel bad about but he's made choices he is who he is there's a reason that batman wants to beat him up in a sewer and and then mm-hmm. you know that that's just the the filling in those lines and sort of updating it so that there was something to grab onto here because i was just i was genuinely afraid there wasn't something to grab onto here and i didn't give jerry duggan credit i think part of that is because I think he's a great writer. He's done really wonderful things, but a lot of his recent Marvel output hasn't been stuff I'm interested in.
1: Not bad, just X Men stuff, stuff and things like
0: it. that. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, hey, you know, it's fine. I don't really care. So I like giving this writer a whole different set of things to play with. I don't know it's just superhero comics over here and over there, but it, it is a different mode. And he, you know, I think he really stepped up to the challenge in that way. It's a really good Dick Grayson in here. It's a really good Alfred. If I had, if I had one complaint. I have one Mm. complaint is that I thought the last beat with the snow angel was stupid. (laughs) I thought it was really stupid. There's a saying that Lindsay and I have in this house, and it is bingo. And the Mm -hmm. reason that we say bingo is when something has a stupid button on it. And that is because in one of the funniest scenes in cinema history, when Clark Griswold (laughs) shoots down the hill on his saucer sled with a new non-nutritive cereal varnish... Uh, Mm. Randy Quaid looks at the camera and he goes bingo which makes no sense (laughs) it doesn't need to be there it just just sucks all the air out of what just happened another example of that is at the very end of the Oscar uh, winning film Doubt Meryl Streep says I have such doubt and I was like you don't have to say it there was no need (laughs) and that was this was this like gleeful snow angel on the ground because he did some good and I did not buy it Other than that, last panel, it was a great issue.
1: There was tons of really great moments. You mentioned Alfred is terrific through this whole thing. I liked the tension between Dick and Bruce and not like, not, you know, bad tension. It was just philosophical tension about about Mm -hmm. Mr. Freeze. And then it was fun of really, full of really fun moments like, Bruce going into the Matches Malone character, going to the bar to get info, and it's like that a two-page fantastic. spread montage of him at the bar, including one panel where he's doing karaoke singing Fairy Tale of New York. Like, it was just... I love Matches Malone. I love that it allows Bruce to sort of cut loose, but in a way that he can pretend like he's not actually cutting loose. He can use yeah. it as an excuse. But I know, and we know from the Batman, the animated series, or I guess from the Justice League cartoon that Batman has a very fine baritone singing voice, so mm-hmm. I'm sure it sounded great. It was just really fun, and it was a nice little holiday story without hitting you over the head with it being a holiday story. Mm-hmm. You know, Mister Freeze is cold and snow based, so it makes sense. And you feel the cold, you feel the 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 holiday, you know, atmosphere. And you know, I, the button didn't bother me mostly because I, I totally forgot about it. But I, I thought the, for me, the final panel of them at the, at the house with the tree was really nice.
0: Yeah, and the, yeah. Uh, the, there's actually one. There's a couple of great panels in here. I mean.
1: I'm oh, not, so we're not talking animals.
0: about Mateo Scalera enough, but really did I really love the way I know that we've talked about this like bulky Batman versus thin Batman or whatever. But mm-hmm. to me, like the bulky Batman, in this was fantastic.
1: Um, and, it, and it, yeah, this is so. sort of like like that Superman we talked about, with Tim Sale, like that sort yeah. of farm boy physique. Yep. It's like the old school strong man body, which is kind of what he, he's been doing with the yeah. Sean Murphy stuff. But uh, again, there's a, so much shadow work here. There's a great one page. Uh, panel where Mister Freeze is walking out of the uh, what's well, page nineteen in digital reader, where he's walking in the sewers and there's all kinds of different weird light sources. So you've got light coming through a grate and you've got his red eyes and and it's just you know mm-hmm. really well done. Really, it's just really, really top notch stuff. Dave Stewart.
0: Um, yeah. And uh, what was it? oh, it, but that that sort of body type plays when you're a more cartoony sort of artist. Um, that side of body plays really well off the smaller Robin body. And, and it works in such a way that you can see what kind of Robin we're at here. Oh, we're we're 12, 13, 14 Robin, not 16, 17 Robin.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a nice contrast. That was always the fun thing about them. You know, and Dave Stewart, I
0: think did, did an amazing job of Robin is sometimes the only color in a given scene. And so he stands out that beacon of light and of hope. There's the one panel where they all get in the Batmobile because they're like, we want to show you this thing, and, and Batman looks mad, and Robin is sitting bitch. I don't know if people <laughs> still say that, but that's what it is, which is wrong in all sorts of ways. But he's sitting bitch, and and there's steam coming out of both of their mouths because Victor freezes in the car, who just looks uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's just like this little tiny panel across the top that's fun. Also, this is an this is an awesome Batmobile. Just I want to give
1: yeah. the credit out. It was a visual feast. That this was yeah. a. Just a beautiful... As a whole, as a full product, it was the most complete comic I read this week. It oh. was the most fun. It didn't feel long. No. You know, I, no I finished it. it, I felt like I got a good story. meaty story, but didn't feel like I was constantly checking the page count, which sometimes happens with these long books. They managed to do an alternate Batman suit. Yeah. Which is risky.
0: When I was a kid, I used to be so annoyed that I couldn't just get a regular Batman toy. They all exactly. had to be like some dumb suit,
1: but like this suit, kind of cool. But also, I thought it was funny that Batman had a, you know, a warming suit, but not Robin. So it's like, you're on your own kid. Well, he didn't want to bring him, so he hadn't planned to. I know, but like, he should have had one for him made anyway. He folded.
0: I You know, the idea that before she died and when she was sick, she still tried to break up with him. and that Nora, she, yeah. Yeah, that he froze her not to save her, but to freeze her, to keep her, to control, you know.
1: Yeah, that. and the thing is, like, it's complicated because, yes, there absolutely there's that. But he also does, I think, love her, so.
0: Oh, absolutely. There's a bit where he's laying on her bed, you know, it's like yeah. she's it's like she's the one good thing that ever happened. But what's interesting to me is that this doesn't actually contradict that animated series episode. It's here's one viewpoint of it and then if you look a little deeper here's sort of what actually happened or maybe not because you know you're not ever in Freeze's head here you're still people looking right. at him and and like it's their opinion on him it's a Rashomon kind of thing maybe yeah it's, it's a, it was a really good it issue. probably does a little bit it's
1: been a long time since I've seen that episode but right it, it, it doesn't really matter this is more the comic no. book Mr. Freeze who, who has to be this way and he's not again he's not a joker character here he's no. falls in sort of the tragic continuum he's a he's mm-hmm. he was an asshole and what happened was tragic and made him more of an asshole and here we are and you know like he's, Batman's not going to get like Mr. Zazz in the Batmobile like I want to show you something like this is a different character kind of you know he falls in the middle Some, he's almost like a flash rogue so I'm gonna
0: pick it apart a little here now that
1: I'm thinking about it just just
0: tease this out logically all right, all right one more thing because we got to move on after this right so he's he's a criminal and yeah. theoretically, he is stealing things so that he continue his cold experiments and try to revive his dead wife. Yes. Yeah. Most. I mean, yes. That's that's his yeah. motivation. He's not trying to be rich. He's not trying to be powerful. Right. So at the end, he gets a chance to work on some stuff that I guess he hasn't. What with all of his ill gotten gains, and he works in this lab, and he gets really frustrated very quickly. Blows up the lab. They sort of reveal that maybe he doesn't want to get out of the ice because, mm-hmm. you know, then, then she could leave him and she, he doesn't want that. Right. And then he gives Robin the secret, you know, to, to basically patent so that they can have better cold technology, more or less. They mm-hmm. release them open source, so nobody's making money from it. So what is Victor's motivation for being a criminal if he's not trying to revive her? Because if he needed money or work to revive her, he could have legitimately used the money from the patents, from the stuff that he invented... But he gave that away, and then he also didn't do a good job working on reviving her when he had the chance. I mean, maybe this is just... His well, I think
1: favorite. I think there is a bit of a, a conundrum there, especially when you're talking about the open source path stuff. But I think it just plays into his psychosis that he sure. has a lot of things going on in his head. One is you're right; her being frozen is a way of being under his control. I like that. And so that's that, brilliant. That's sort of his psychotic element. I think he wants to help her. He wants to revive her. But you're right; in the back of his mind, he knows if he does, that he, he might lose her, which he probably will because she tried to leave him or already. Did. So there's lots of things in there. They're swirling. He wants to get her back, but he doesn't want to lose her. So it's sort of like he sabotages himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's broken. The bit of the, with the patent does kind of make it more, slightly more complicated. But
0: yeah, yeah I'm not even pointing out flaws. I just, I just started thinking about. It. I was like, well, wait, logic on this. It'd be interesting to yeah. have that conversation.
1: So that was the pick of the week. Batman, one bad day. Mister Freeze. These, I mean, these issues are taken as they come, and this was a good one. It would be hard to imagine a better one of these because this is really solid in all levels. Moving on, we had Christopher Cantwell week here at HQ. He had three books. We're going to talk about all three. It started with Namor the Submariner, Conquered Shores, number two. This is drawn by Pasquale Ferry. This is the Elseworlds story of a future Marvel in which, was it the Cree? The Kree yep. melted the polar ice gaps and flooded the world. And so now, basically, Atlantis is in charge. And this was very heavy into his complicated relationship with Jim Hammond.
0: Yeah, which, you know, I'm not... I'm not an expert on the Invaders, but I've read every Invaders that has come out over the past few decades, and I was like, I don't think I knew about this.
1: Like, did you know about this? I mean, who knows? Who knows? I don't know.
0: There's a lot of interpretations. So they just went with this one, which I'm totally fine with.
1: Yeah. How did you read this being the first Namor comic after seeing live-action Namor? It's interesting. I was
0: thinking that just as I opened it up, because this was a step... To go from current Namor to this future more benevolent Namor, and then you 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 compound that with going from you know evil Black Panther Namor, you know, right. or more or less to this, and it's a big swing. So I did find myself, I think, when I read it, I was like, he's a little too nice.
1: <laughs> that's what I thought. Well, for me, it was more visual; like I could really see him moving, you know, right. oh, and that we've seen him in a sort of upright flying, which was so awesome in the film when he flies off he doesn't fly like superman does you know that was more of a change in my head but i'm okay with nice namor because we've seen nice namor before yeah he's not captain america he's still kind of arrogant but he's also been tempered by time and tragedy as well that's fine we see a little bit of old arrogant namor in the flashback when he's talking to sue i wish he was in the panties and not the boy shorts but whatever i knew you were going to say that when i looked at that Mm -hmm. and i went
0: do i want to see the panties and i'm like i'm not sure
1: it adds to the arrogance. You've got to be super arrogant it's to true. go that out is, in the world and...
0: The hot pants are flattening his junk, which should yeah. be front forward. Although he is, if you look how he's standing, it is... He's still presenting. Forward. Yes, he he definitely is. <laughs> Quality word choice. Just want to go ahead and give you that. I thought that their relationship here was really interesting. Like, it's said a lot in these pages that... Him and I, Sue? yeah that i don't know has been made manifest before and it is the idea that like they both know that there's something between them they it was really it was actually really nice structure it was set up like she wasn't going to let anything happen about, about it he said you know i you know i know you're not going to let me kiss you but the understanding is still there that that's a the thing they both want to do mm-hmm. and i thought that was very forward and not necessarily bad but it's because of that it's very conflict inducing
1: well that's always been it right there's no secret that she is attracted to him and has had feelings for him and doesn't mean just because she chose reed doesn't mean that attraction goes away
0: no i know that but there's a very like mature yeah but also like a relevant recognition of it yes they're not beating around the bush of it which i think is not usually what happens and this is one of those things where i'm reading like i know about this but i thought do I know any details about what this actually is? And I, I feel like I need to read John Burns' Fantastic Four to really get to that.
1: And it just makes it so interesting. I think we probably talked about it the last time, but, you know, when you turn that page, you see current old Namor again, and he has to read Richard Sideburns now. And
0: I noticed that.
1: It makes that so much more interesting. Yeah. It's been there the whole time, and then we probably talked about it again, but mm-hmm. it's just the contrast immediately from Sue to old yeah. Namor looking like Reed now. It's very funny.
0: I mean, it must have been a conscious choice. it's really... Strong choice, and I noticed you're exactly right. I flipped that page, and I'm like, How did I not notice he had this hair the whole time? <laughs> I think that's that's great. Yeah,
1: he's also in that page, the, the one immediately following the Sioux scene. He's wearing this blue armor suit. So, if yep. you look, squint your eyes, it's it's Reed Richards.
0: Yeah, I do know that when I read this page, I was looking at his eyebrows a lot. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what they would look like in real life, and I couldn't figure out the way that they didn't look ridiculous. Yeah, that's the kind of like thing one of those, those old comments. ladies, you
1: know, yeah. like, the drawn-on like <laughs> George Costanza's mother. Like, yeah, basically. I, just... I mean, this is this continues to be interesting. They, you know, there's still this conflict of of how can they uh, save humanity? Because there's only a pocket of humanity. There's two pockets of humanity: one on the surface, and one living in Atlantis. The rest of the people either died or. A bunch of the heroes went off to fight the Kree and never came back. And
0: the and the people on the surface aren't gonna make it unless something changes.
1: Right.
0: And and but they don't want to make that choice. I think one of the there's a the device here is that they just stripped down. Every there's no one left. There's these three guys left. You know. And that takes away so much complication. Like, you don't have to worry about the story. Like, no, these are the only people there are to, to fix things.
1: It's such an interesting choice to make one of them, Luke Cage, because he's not someone you associate with Namor. No. But, yeah,
0: like, but you, you know, he protected the streets and then he's mayor yeah. or whatever. I really liked Namor walking around the Fantastic Four place. And there's yes. some really beautiful, uh, some Cicerbi isms that they put in the artwork. The rockets over there. And then there's a big, um, like, a. Uh, Painting on the wall of them as if Kirby had drawn it, and then off to the right there's there's various kinds of fantastic cars available, but then there's a <laughs> shot of Ben Grimm looking as he did in Fantastic Four One, which is also right. Kirby, but a different look at it, and I just thought oh those are those are those are nice those are nice nods to history,
1: I think I think you need a giant family oil painting portrait that hangs in your living room of our family
0: yeah, of yours, yeah. Oh, because I was like, I would totally do a Jack Kirby photo
1: of or painting of all the Fantastic Four. <laughs> no, I mean, your family.
0: Yeah, but what about if it's the Fantastic Four, though? That's fine. I would 100% put that up. <laughs> needs you would. There to be would. more giant. I, th- I think I could get Lindsay. Maybe, yeah, I could get Lindsay into it. I okay. could make that
1: happen. This continues to be really interesting and fun. I liked the dynamic of, you know, he calls Hammond his best friend, which threw me for a second. Yep. But he, he's excited to see him, but also is, is weary of seeing him and also... He wants to kill him. Can they use him to, as a human power battery <laughs> to power the settlements under Atlantis? So there's a lot going on, a lot of complications, as there always are with Neymar. But I really enjoyed this. I think this has been terrific so far. Yep. Let's move on to Gold Goblin, number one. Also Christopher Cantwell, drawn by Land Medina. And I... I didn't even think of this. We talked about Cantwell before, and his sweet spot being the arrogant Marvel character. There it is. Tony Stark, Dr. Doom, Namor, Kang. And you're like, oh, shit. Norman Osborn as well. And so now now they've got him. He's got a He's got a... He's just got them all. He has a monopoly on them. them. You said to me, why is this just not happening in the Spider-Man book, and I can't disagree?
0: I... I, my my thoughts on this, as I read it, are that this is a really good, well made and thoughtful comic book with a lot of skill on the page, and I don't care about it. Right? Meaning that, like, <laughs> I don't like this Norman Osborn story. I right. don't like this. I can hear Norman in. I can hear the Goblin in my head because we all know where it's going. Right, because it's what it does, and I think that. Visually, there was a real a lot of interesting things. There was the the Gwen Stacy snap with the crack of the bat going on. Visually, mm-hmm. there's a ton of interesting things. But ultimately, I, I, I don't buy this Sin Eater. Like we're st- we're playing off off of a, a base that wasn't well enough established, I guess i just don't buy it that the, the peter's all in and and you know they're right. talking about it too like they're they're even acknowledging he's it. like i don't know why it would fool me a hundred times there's a good joke there about it but at the same time like why are you why are you letting this happen you know better you 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 know because and and it's 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 comics you know whatever mm-hmm. two little tiny things i noticed that bothered me is and this is gonna be really like this is like your robin thing but me in real life peter shows up and he's mm-hmm. dressed in like his street clothes, and I was like, "This mm-hmm. does not look like a person who is that age dresses now. This looks like how they dressed ten to fifteen years ago, <laughs> and the artist hasn't seen how people actually dress i, I genuinely well, thought that that's how comics it's, are oh i I know I get it. it's fine and then like then also then later, in the same sense, the kids came up and were like, "Can I get an autograph?" And I was like,
1: "That doesn't happen now. they do yeah, it. they did want a selfie yeah.
0: They would want to sell That's what they would do. And I get it. He wrote on the skull and Hamlet, whatever. In big block letters. (laughs) (laughs) That's how, honestly, that's how I have to write to make sure that it is legible. If I have to write anything official, I write in caps because my handwriting is atrocious.
1: I like the Land of Medina art a lot. Yeah. It was a little bit of an older Norman, but I really liked the way the jack-o'-lantern character looked. Mm -hmm. There's something elemental... About the Green Goblin, the original Green Goblin costume. Yes. I mean, it's kind of silly, as all these things are. But just seeing it in a flashback, it, it, it caused a reaction. Like, like cuz mm. I don't know. It's just, I guess, from being a kid and reading those Spider-Man comics. And Green Goblin was always so scary. But like just seeing him. He's not even wearing the mask. He's just wearing the green scales and the purple tunic and the gloves. It's just something about it. Isn't, it's elemental and it's terrific.
0: Yeah, but it turns out it was hairy. In that one scene, right. not Norman, which I thought was, was interesting. Like, there's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here. It is well-written. It is well-constructed. Visually, I think they're doing wonderful things. Like this, I mean, it's a from, a, from a comic book storytelling and a comic book art point of view, mm-hmm. I was like, that was great, but at the end of the day,
1: I don't buy it. I don't know why this couldn't be a subplot in Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Well. I mean, I, I
0: know why, because they don't have enough pages anymore. And it's a different writer, like it's somebody else yeah. sort of taking this
1: on, and whatever. I enjoyed this, though. I didn't dislike it. I agree with you. I get all of the things you're saying about the overall problems, the things we talked about in the, in the Spider-Man book itself, but, you know, from a this-is-the-book story, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Iron Man 650, this had to serve two masters. One, wrap up Christopher Cantwell's run of 25 issues, and two, serve as a... 650th anniversary issue, and I think it did Ooh. one well and one not so well.
0: Okay, one little bit, as I noticed, actually about Gold Goblin that I wanted to mention, okay. it, I guess applies to this too, is that at one point they refer to something and you get the asterisk and it said, wait, you know, did you read this back in mm-hmm. 609 or whatever? And I thought, oh, that's why they have to have legacy numbers. Because you can't say back in Spider-Man 2 because it won't make any sense. Hmm. So I mean, it's not the. I'm sure that's not one of the only reasons, but I thought you need to have legacy numbers for this because otherwise they have to write way back in Spider Man Volume Seven. Yeah, that's. I mean, five. that's the
1: bonus of the legacy numbers. I think they're having right. it to eat their cake and have it too. I know.
0: I just I noticed set. that, and so at the same time when we get into this one, it's like it's it's an anniversary issue, and I was like, man, stop fucking with me. Just use the number.
1: Yeah, I think the anniversary side didn't. It just sort of felt tacked on. Like they had a couple of short stories in the back. Yeah, it didn't feel like a a big. Anniversary issue? No, to because me. it
0: wasn't. If anything, right. you should like. Hey, this is our celebrate the end of this cool volume. Call it a day. Right. That being said, Ben Dewey, draw like this, I'm cool with it. I don't even care what the story is. I just wanted to look at it. But let's talk about the Cantwell story.
1: This wraps up his run. We we, we sort of touch in of all the things he's been dealing with: Tony's sobriety, uh, his relationship with Hellcat, his relationship to New York, and the failures he's had along the way. Sort of a quiet story that they're, they're celebrating Iron Man Day in New York, and Tony's having a problem with that, so he's avoiding it at all costs. And ends up, you know, trying to save a man in, the, in who's had like a heart attack in the subway, and he goes, "Doug Ross." <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it really just becomes a story about that trying to save this one guy who collapsed in the subway tunnel uh, to the point where he like he's hanging out in the ER. Does he look way too big for the seats on page nineteen?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he would have to use. We'd have to be using some sort of uh, of his energy power to keep his from crushing that that chair. Right, but doesn't
1: it look like he's like he's like twice as big as a human?
0: He looks slightly bigger than a human, but that I don't know. My whole see, I didn't. I see what you're saying. That's fine. The whole time I was thinking, why is that light on his hip? Because right. see how it's going to hit the arm of that chair. Right. That's such an annoying place for something to be. You want that area to be smooth in a superhero
1: context. agree. And why is there a light on his hip? The rest of them I'm fine with. Yeah, I think the costume's cool. And so then, you know, it ends with, I think the guy dies. That's the implication, right? Yes, he does. Yeah. Well,
0: either that or they came out and quietly told him, he doesn't want to talk to you. Please leave. But we don't know because there's no dialogue.
1: (laughs) And so he goes back and and Hellcat shows up, gives him a hug and takes him back to Avengers Mansion, which we have visited, which you can too visit in New York City. The, The museum? And then uh, he goes back there, and there's a bunch of characters waiting for him. And at first, I was like, why, "Why? Why are these random characters here?" But then I realized it's it's like most of the characters who have made appearances in the the book up to now, so that's fine. Yeah, it was a nice wrap up to the to his run, which has been good.
0: What is, what, is that? What Riri's costume looks like now?
1: Oh, maybe. pink and gold, and
0: it's like two maybe. different mismatched bottoms and tops. It's weird.
1: Anyway. Yeah, it's not a great design.
0: It was fine. I really liked this. I mean, I think I think it was the last sort of couple issues were a little whimpery after. What was a really interesting and unique Iron Man run? I don't think. Right. I think it wasn't. It wasn't like a definitive Iron Man run. It no. was like, how about this? No, it was good. How about this kind of view with the character? And I had fun. There were some pics of the week in there. Yeah, it didn't stay too long. I think I was like twenty five. That's a good run. You're. I mean, it's that's a long run. Uh, you know. And it was really consistent, you know, the whole way through. Yeah, um, yeah a good run. I don't. This issue didn't really stand out to me all that much uh,
1: in that way. I don't think the first backup story, "Daddy's Boys," uh, written by Maruia Iodell and drawn by Doton Akande, and It was solid. It was a solid. For some reason, Iron Man in in Jotunheim story, but the big show was the Kurt Busiek, Benjamin Dewey story that took place, sort of a classic Marvel story. Battle behind the bamboo curtain. <laughs> Skirt the edge there, Kurt. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was something. That was something. Yep. It didn't look like a comic from the era, but it felt like a comic from the era, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, it,
0: you know, it was like, it was a v- version of what that comic book looked like, but with sort of like brighter colors and clearly like processed to be that way, but in a fun way.
1: Right. Yeah. It was good. And then we get a tease for the new series, Invincible Iron Man, returning with I assume new number one. And I think that's as yeah, it's Jerry Duggan. So there you go. Your your buddy Jerry Duggan. Hey, he can do good work on what you put him on.
0: And he's he's got a lot of looks. You can go about things in different ways, so it works out. So uh this show, this program, this organization we do it's very important to us and one of the ways you can help out keep that going is many of the things i'm about to tell you Uh, there's patreon.com slash ifanboy where you can directly support the show um you unlock shows there is a great community you can be part of i mean you can be part of a great community anyway but this is a special little part of that community of dedicated folks over on discord and on the facebook group there are stretch goals we have achieved many of them there'll be others there is a draft there is a document currently circulating yeah, I sent it out last night. Yep, how we are going to move forward um, with those. And so hopefully by the new year, we will, we will change up what that looks like and maybe give you something to reach for. Honestly, can I just say, you people who are patrons, you have no idea how helpful you have been uh, in the past couple of months. I mean, honestly, you've supported the, uh, the, the Flanagan Initiative, uh, and it means a ton. So that means I'm here for shows. As long as you want me. You can go to ifanboythreadless.com. There are 12 designs on t-shirts and more, including our newest design, Gosh, Good Old Superheroes, G-O-S-H, and, and a bunch of others. We are proud of all of them. I recommend others put them on skateboards. I wonder if I have the only... Ifanboy skateboard? Ifanboy skateboard in, in workable condition.
1: Josh has the uh, Clint is Dead skateboard, yep. which was a gift sent to him. If someone else has an iFanboy design skateboard, let us know. Send us a photo. I'm
0: torn because I've said, like, it I w- I should be written, but all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't really want to scratch it up. But that's a skateboard supposed to be scratched up. You just go that way. It's art that's used. iFanboy.com slash support. You will find a direct PayPal link if that's what you want to do. You want to mess with that. iFanboy.com slash Amazon. You can buy the books from Booksplode, you can find the music that we uh, use in the show and other links where they should be. And then there's bookshop.org, which is a way for you to get books from a network of local bookstores via the internet. And you will find those links
1: where they are. Nightwing 98, the cliffhanger for 97 was that while Dick and Barbara were babysitting a uh, mafia witness, a car pulled up to their safe house and inside of it was Rick Grayson from the ill-fated Rick Grayson era and we were like, what? And it turns out that that was Nightmite. A notion quickly discarded.
0: Like, this, remember this cliffhanger from the last issue? Don't worry about it. Which is fine,
1: by the way. Nightwing's very own Fifth Dimension Imp. This issue, obviously, Tom Taylor wrote it, but this was drawn by Danielle Dean. Nicuolo had a sillier, cartoonier tone, fitting the story of yes. Dick and Barbara having to deal with their own Fifth Dimension Imp. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was cute. It could
0: have been an, an absolute failure, but it was really fun. And yeah. it was almost like, here's the power of a fan who really loves something and not in an annoying way. Because it's very easy for comics professionals and folks like us to make fun of over-obsessed fans or something like this. But this was like a a good way to go about it. Oh, man, the dog who only has three legs only has three legs in the superhero costume, too. Yeah. That's nice.
1: That's funny. It was yeah, good. It was uh, cute. It was. I enjoyed. It was it. fun. It was a nice and little thought, diversion,
0: I, and the art was was great. I, you know, this is, it, this kind of art was like really uh, around a lot. This sort of pseudo, chibi kind of thing, and mm-hmm. and it was uh, almost like showed up too often. But in this, it was perfect
1: and it was really fun. It, was, it, really it worked for a little version of Nightwing running around, and I like yeah, the I, the whole wedding sequence where he put them into this awkward position of, yeah, of having I like how, to get married. And I like how it's the real people. Like they're not yeah, he was just like Wait, they're people. really like, here. yeah.
0: I, but if if you just look at any given page, you know, every page is a, a really this great pages just from a, a layout and construction standpoint, panel breaking, dynamics, you know, close up, far away. They're really well laid out pages. And I noticed that as I went through the whole thing, really yeah, really I was exciting impressed to look at they
1: are. Mm-hmm. junkyard Joe number two from Image. Are you reading junkyard, Joe? I am reading junkyard Joe, Jeff Johns, Gary Frank. And I thought the first half of this issue was just absolutely magnificent. Sort of a look at this Vietnam veteran's, not PTSD, but having to live. He has PTSD. He's got nightmares. And Mm -hmm. his wife has died, so he's alone now. And I thought, you know, right up until Joe shows up, I thought it was terrific. I didn't dislike it afterwards, but I thought that first half was just like, wow, this is a really sensitive look at a veteran who was still having trouble even, you know, 40 years later. I thought that was great. And the Gary Frank art was terrific.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we spent time like that, which is like a different version of the story from um, the Rorschach book, kind of, you know, like w- which way it goes, the reclusive cartoonist. But this is like a different thing. He has a family and love and whatever. And for a little while, you spend that that half going, well, wait, wait a minute. Wasn't this a real character who was around before? Because the last issue was, right. you know, GI <laughs> Junkyard Joe in <laughs> Vietnam with them, and then you have right. this guy's. It's his cartoon. You're like, well, and then you almost forgot about it. And then he shows up, and you're like, all oh, right, this is a thing. I thought that was an interesting, because it's a way to... Like, you spend time doing this other kind of story, and then you bring it back to what the main thing is. I mean, I, these issues are gifts. You know, like, after not having uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank doing things together, and mm-hmm. this sort of... Like, you don't know what... Because it's not DC... It's not Justice Society, so you don't know what to expect. Right. It's, it's really
1: fun to just see... And <laughs> the ending is just doing. weird. And I liked how weird it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's very Hellboy. <laughs> we, we had these... Uh, he's got new neighbors and that's not the weird part. They just, you know, one of them's an artist, the daughter. So that'll probably get, she'll get involved with the guy somehow. Not romantically just, you know, involved.
0: First thing she does in her room is put up a Jaws poster. Cause she's up <laughs> so un- the kids packing. do, Josh. The yes, kids do it. They love it. And Totoro.
1: And at the end, these two, you know, local sheriffs and a deputy are interviewing this guy about, you know, a sighting of GI robot and they both get shot. In the back of the head by this uh, other guy wearing a GI robot mask. I was like, okay. Yeah. Cool. Weird. Yep. First of all, I was like, is that a robot? Nope, that's a guy wearing a mask. Okay. So th- the girl next door, by the way, she's supposed to be a teenager? <laughs>
0: because that is not the haircut of a current teenager. That is a college girl from the early
1: 2000s. Listen, Gary Frank is. I know. Of an age. Wait a minute. You just draw has, what you remember.
0: She has a rack of glasses. Look, on page twenty-two, uh-huh, she has a rack of different glasses she can wear. Huh? That's,
1: that's Gordon. Great. Intern has that.
0: Yeah, but that's true. That's true. His are all the same, with different colors, though.
1: Anyway, <laughs> speaking of Jeff Johns, Star Girl, the Lost Children number one, the first issue of a new miniseries will be very familiar to anyone who watches the Star Girl show, of which Jeff is the showrunner. It's it recalls that setup. You know, she lives in Blue Valley with her mom and her mom is married to uh, stripesy which is like a, like it is in the show but that really isn't the, the what i really liked about this this is drawn by todd walk is the story of all these missing golden age sidekicks i thought that was a really interesting you know tack to take i don't know if these are all some of these are new and some of these are classic characters but i thought it was an interesting sort of mystery to solve for stargirl is all these sidekicks teen, these teen sidekicks from history have gone missing and that was that was an interesting setup. I enjoyed this. This was fun. I enjoyed it to the extent that you know it was was what it was. It
0: was having fun. I don't know if I'll stick with it. Yeah, I get it. I, I gave it a shot. You know, I was like, all right, I, I get this. this is the thing. It's what I thought it would be. It was kind of fun, but but ultimately I wasn't all that invested.
1: Yeah, I get it. You know, Stargirl's obviously an important character for Jeff. Is based on his his sister yes. passed away, and so I, I I appreciate that he keeps her alive this way, and. I like sidekicks. I like the idea of it. And they're, they're silly, you know, they're, especially the, the gold dig ones are pretty silly.
0: I thought the interesting one was the one where, like, adult was the sidekick. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's 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 fraught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. The main hero was the kid, and the adult was the kid. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear it. Goes. So it's only five issues or so, so I'll, I'll get into it. And finally, She-Hulk 171, Rainbow Rowell, and guest art by Takeshi Miyazawa, who I I really love. Mm-hmm. This was also fun it was a pullback to the origin of the, I guess the villains of the story. Yeah. The tiny woman with the big head and then her hulking uh, henchman, who's not her henchman, but her husband. Eight issues in, we get to the villains. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm, I'm,
0: that's not a criticism. I just want that clear.
1: I thought this was good. They were scientists who were big, you know, desperately wanted Hulk powers. I like the idea that the beginning of the story They didn't seem like they were that bad. You know, they had a cute relationship. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, these guys are arrogant and megalomaniacs. And then, uh, you know, I, I like how it slowly unfolded where you're like, oh, these people are cute and they have their fun relationship and then they work together and they have, you know, fun banter. And then it was just like, oh, oh. And that's how you get a tiny body and a big head.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like that reveal of them in the last issue where they told you outright, I, I, I think I I'll always respect the writer for this, we, we don't know these people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. And in this one, I kind of forgot what that was, and I, I started going with it. I really enjoyed the art and the whole thing. I liked the changes into the Hulk stuff and how that all worked. Uh, you know, there were certain bits of this where I just thought, this is, this is really wonderful storytelling. Yeah. I'm just continually be impressed on this arc. And, and sort of
1: Rainbow's work super fun oh the arrogance the arrogant Marvel scientist <laughs> we'll get, get you every time those are the books we're going to talk about I actually had a really big week I had over 20 books
0: I had a lot I cut some I was like eh, I'm not reading this
1: on a busy week <laughs> GCPD eh, it wasn't great so those are the books we want to talk about. But at patreon.com slash iFanboy, every patron votes to add the book to the rundown. We call that the Patron Pick. And this week, the uh, this, the winner by a fairly wide margin was Blade Vampire Nation, number one, written by Mark Russell, drawn by Dave Wachter, colors by D. Cunoff, and art letters by Corey Pettit. All right. So before we move on with this, yeah, you have we've we've had a
0: lot of talk about Mark Russell. He was our big new find, however many years ago. And we we mm-hmm. watched out for him. The book that Mark Russell did was a must buy. Yeah, you've been faltering on the must-buy status for a while. Me, I feel like yeah, I feel like you're aware of it. I know you have, but I don't feel like you want to as much anymore because you haven't really loved everything.
1: I feel like his books haven't been as strong. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, I get that, and and I'm not I'm not even arguing with that point. So would you have read this?
1: Yes. Okay. Because as you said, we were like we're going to read all of Mark Russell's books, and you know blade does nothing for me i didn't like the movies i didn't read the character in the comics and you know in the 70s obviously and when he shows up in like a avengers book now or whatever I'm, it doesn't excite me like the blade character doesn't do anything for me but mark russell doing blade like why that's the question in my head why mm-hmm. is this happening and what i found here and this is basically this is just a one shot for some reason it, that part
0: was weird. I got to the end. I was like,
1: that's all we're doing here? <laughs> I know. I the, it goes to the end. If for more Blades, see this book. And I was like, what? I feel like there was story on the table. That we like, why Why did we do this? Yes. It's not like Blade had a TV show that came out or something. But what I found about a quarter of the way through this, I was like, oh, this is the Mark Russell that wrote Red Sonia." Yeah, this is not a Blade story. Right.
0: Blade is the detective in this. He's the guy we follow around to find out about this
1: world. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is that. It is of the Mark Russellness of Red Sonia, in which there were observations and satirical things he did about the world, but mostly it was an adventure story. And this is mostly detective story about a attempted murder yeah. of Dracula, who is the head of vampire nation, vampireisk, which is in the Ukraine. Which was awkward when they showed the map.
0: You're right. This was the soft social satire, Mark Russell. Yeah. And the idea is that there is this. They given the, the exclusion area, exclusion zone to the vampires. This happened over in Jason Aaron's story, and they're starting a little society, and right at the edge of it, there's a the place, Vampirisk, which used to be something else. The radiation is low enough that humans can live there too. It's the vampire state. And in a very short amount of time, they established an awful lot. Yes. about how this works. Dracula is the head of the whole thing. He's a savvy ruler. I actually really like this version of Dracula in the Marvel universe, is that he's not just pure evil, but he might be, you know... He's more like a politician. Yeah, but also like a, you know, he's also like, I'm I'm also the best. I'm. I'm a king, you know. But it's not like pure outright evil. He's got a different thing going on. There's layers. But at the same time, there's a bit where you see vampire bureaucrats which is funny, like Russian bureaucrat <laughs> vampires. Right. You see that back in the States on the subway, there's ads to help lonely people come live there. And you can go there to be turned into a vampire. You can go there to do their menial labor, or you can have an awesome life, except the vampires get to hunt you at night. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> It was just a lot of interesting ideas and fun stuff. In fact, that is to get to the end part is
1: that like, you know, I was like, That's it? I want to spend more time in Vampirsk. First of all, I'm not living anywhere where the radiation level is low enough. Acceptable. Not doing that. No. And I realize someone's going to now write it and say, well, you know, this device is in your house. uh, No. I'm not living anywhere where it's like, it's an acceptable level for human survival. That doesn't sound good to me. I agree with you. I got to the end of this and I was disappointed that it was over. Yeah. Because the world was interesting. I feel like Mark Russell could do a lot of fun things here. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I I really did. I mean, the last Mark Russell book I really loved was that Red Sonja book, and this felt like that book.
0: That book really was spectacular. Yeah, that was one of my favorite books when it was coming out. I really liked the woman, like the one who'd been a vampire for a long time, and she was in the, the support group. The aristocrat. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I'm an aristocrat. And then, and then two pages later, he pulls up two dead guys behind a curtain. I was like, I feel like that could be part of that joke. <laughs> I like that he set up the theater of that, by the way. Yeah. Like there's That's curtains very Mark there Russell behind him, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, no. Blade is utterly a cipher here. They put his name on the cover, but he's just you know he could he could
1: have been any character. You know, it is interesting. I mean, a vampire nation headed by Dracula. I read that Mark Russell book. Like that is right uh-huh. up his alley, where because it's just silly enough. Uh-huh. But you could tell a lot of interesting things and stories and allegories about life on Earth. Now there's a lot there, I I realize it's probably not a huge audience for. a... Dracula vampire book written by Mark Russell, but I'd read it. You back up the very basic
0: idea that there's a vampire nation and Blade is the sheriff there. That's ridiculous. That's funny. I can see why you pick up that pitch. By the way, I want to make sure that I mention Dave Mm Wactor, who's an artist. I knew his art from social media way back when. He doesn't do a heck of a lot of sequential stuff, but he's definitely got some skill. It's a little... Less polished than I think a lot of other stuff. But I think he did his job here really well. <laughs> and like the page turn jokes are really good.
1: I, I think it was, it was I was impressed. I was, not yep. you know, like I said, I was going to read it anyway. And in fact, I read it before it was patron pick. But Me too. when I first saw the list, I glossed right over it. Then I saw yeah. it was Mark Russell. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to have to read a Blade book. But I did. I I liked it. Blade is Blade. It's fine. I have no strong feelings either way about Blade.
0: Yeah, I don't not like Blade.
1: Yeah. I just don't care. But the whole package was the draw for me. I enjoyed it. So let's do ratings on Blade Vampire Nation number one. Ratings out of five. I'm going to give it... Uh... Four. Four. Yeah. Four.
0: I would stick with it had you given me the option. <laughs> and I guess I'm still reading
1: Avengers for some reason. Well, that's, an, that's a new Avengers book. I think they tease at the end, isn't oh, it? Oh, is it? Yeah.
0: Ugh. At least the Blade vampire stuff in the Avengers story put us in, in the current world. True.
1: <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Every patron can vote to edit a book to the rundown, but if you're a patron at the $5 or higher level, you get a superpower live on the show like this patron,
0: Christopher Rise. I don't know
1: exactly how to pronounce
0: that, but uh, R E I S Z Rise. Can morph into a Gilded Age robber baron at will. He can, at any point, change into any of numerous Gilded Age <laughs> robber barons, okay. such as uh, J.P. Morgan or perhaps right. John D. Uh, Rockefeller, Carnegie. Car- yeah, obviously Andrew Carnegie. You know, all of any any of those, and there were there were many lesser known ones who had lived on the North Shore of Long Island, not sure castles, live in and Newport. Such. yeah Newport, Newport, Rhode uh, Island, yeah. There are certain families that were not wasps who wanted to be part of that, but they're not. That's what a Gilded Age robber baron was. <laughs> now, how this
1: is used in a practical
0: or useful sense,
1: that's not my problem. You know the thing with the robber barons is, is they're really interesting if you start digging back and back and back and back. And how many of yeah. them, we think of them as like railroad barons or, or you know, like the asters or like, you know. Mm-hmm. But you dig back and they're all like fur trapper barons. Like they all got their fortune from fur trapping. No kidding. Yeah, like, if you go back far enough, that's like, where did their money come from? And it's like, I think it was the Astors. It was like the first Astor that came to America, started fur trapping business and became hugely rich from fur trapping when they came and wiped out, like, all the beavers and everything.
0: That's really interesting because, like, the, the initial conceit of these people that I think of them as them as being part of an intractable sort of New York society that no one can buy their way into new money versus old money but the money wouldn't have been that old given that is the
1: case and yeah, the thing is like if you go back, let's do a let's do a let's do a Gilded Age podcast if you you know okay all of that is an illusion right it's all an act yes and if you you go back far enough oh well it came from this guy trudging through the mud and the snow killing beavers trapping beavers and you know mostly beavers but other things but eventually those like, all things. The kids are suddenly, there, they're moneyed. In. Mm-hmm. John Jacob Astor, was he the trapper? Yeah, he, he made his fortune in the fur trade. Hmm. He came over from Germany. It's very
0: interesting. Yeah. I also, re- I just, robber baron is such an interesting, like, it's, the words are said, mm-hmm. and they make one sound and have one meaning, but it, it's almost lost because of what it turns into. But it's right, right there, like, they're bad guys. Robber right. barons. <laughs> like, it's it's not the name. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. But, you know, if that's what Christopher needs to do, he can right. be that
1: at will. John Jacob Astor sold furs that other people trapped to Europe because they were like a huge demand for those So American. he was a, he was an exporter like Art Vandelay. Right. <laughs> right. He made six million dollars, equivalent of six million dollars for for, tra- for trading. That started as, as... those people owe a lot of
0: their fortunes to Benjamin Franklin who popularized the beaver hat in Europe when he went over there as ambassador right.
1: to France. Right. Then they did what you do with money is you imported the real estate and suddenly you're a real estate empire who started with furs. hmm mm-hmm. Let's talk about that some more.
0: People understand that we could keep going and <laughs> that we are both trying to clamp down. Like, I'm looking, I'm like, F block, audience questions. And then I was like, but Long Island real estate's kind of interesting if you get into it. <laughs>
1: The Gold Coast. Peter S. from Cape Coral, Florida writes and says, I've been thinking about this question for three days since I finished A Lonely Place of Dying for the first time. Tim Drake's argument throughout this arc is that Batman needs Robin to keep him grounded and to prevent him from becoming too serious and unhinged. By my count, Batman hasn't had a regular Robin in the main books since Grant Morrison's run ended almost 10 years ago. In that time, Batman has largely been very serious and at least slightly unhinged. Is Tim right? And why won't DC listen to him? I listen to him. They barely feature him.
0: and I mean, there's a Tim Drake character <laughs> currently.
1: Yes, he's right. Obviously, he's right. First of all, if you don't know, A Lonely Place of Dying was the story that introduced Tim Drake into the Batman world. Great story. Great comic. It's true. A lot of things are true. It's funny that they introduced Tim Drake. He makes this argument that Batman needs a Robin, and then they immediately, I'm um, not immediately, almost immediately shunt Tim off into his own solo book, which was terrific, but... It pretty much severed the Batman and Robin partnership at that point. Like it used to be the Batman comic featured Batman and Robin. And then they were like, hold on, we can sell two books here. And so they did that. And so you haven't really had a Batman and Robin regular partnership since. I mean, Damien has showed up. They had a Batman and Robin comic for a while. And Tim is a supporting character in the current Batman arc by Chip Zdarsky. But the... Decades long run of Batman and Robin that started in 1940 and in the 90s basically was severed by Tim Drake, where they became his own comic that ran, ran for a decade.
0: So I'm thinking about this timeline, and Batman is is a character who's existed through many eras of actual history. And if we're looking at our timeline, we have yep. 1986 is this sort of like heroes will be dark now. But not long after that, Lonely Place is dying is what? 89. Uh, think it's 89. After that. something I'll like
1: that. I'll look up the exact year.
0: And that leads into what I consider to be, at least, you know, and, and you know, this is this is subjective because this is but there is a Batman family era that you and I
1: You uh, nailed it 89.
0: Yeah. Because that's when I started reading comics. I was one Batman 440
1: comics. was the right. first issue.
0: So 86, everything goes dark. 89 they immediately introduced this like little bit of a uh, antidote to that and then that leads into what you said but also there was a great batman family era yes. which i typify the, with the chuck dixon
1: the, run it was the 90s the 90s was when chuck dixon ran all the batman at least all the side books uh, nightwing robin yeah. birds of prey by the way i forgot that Lotus dying was mar wolfman hey he wrote the books it it crossed over it was it was in batman and it was in teen titans mm-hmm. and perez drew the teen titans issues and aparo drew the batman issues but, yep. but but wolfman wrote all of it man wolfman's everywhere i feel like i picked up that might have been my first
0: regular batman issue like in the middle of that mm-hmm. like anyway you know so then in the 90s you have two things happen batman the character can go super dark and you have grant morrison doing Arkham Asylum and then doing that version of him in Justice League, which set him up. But then the contrast of that is the Batman family. So all of a sudden, you have a way that you can have great, dark, scary Batman, but the other side of it is that you have all these Robins in his family that do bring him back. Right. The Robins allow you to have a character who is that dark, grim Batman, but anchors him. Because Batman, who's super dark, without that is just too fucking sad.
1: And I think that after... There were some things that happened it's oppressive it's a, it's an oppressive yes. and there was something I was reading recently where Batman was portrayed like that, and I was like i don't I don't like robotic Batman, you know, I right. don't like the robotic sentinel of justice. It's just after a while it gets really kind of tedious. I think it's. Be- it's not my formative years reading comics, but but really, sort of as an going into an adult comic reader or an older comic reader, having that family around really was an element that was unusual and fun for Batman. Because you're, you're right, he gets to be the scary guy to everybody else, but he, we know he goes home and he's got Dick and Tim and Barbara and Cassie, yes, you know, and and then later Stephanie and Helena. You know, he had this whole extended family that he's been searching for ever since his parents died, and they got they've gotten away from that. And it's just, it hasn't been the same
0: since. And because of that, he doesn't have the, and and I think this is one of the things that actually works about Tom King's stuff is that they killed off Alfred or, you know, whatever. But by having Selina there, you can have, you know, super repressed, dark, angry, quiet, brooding Batman, but you know this about him. Even if it's not front and center, you know there's another side to him that he has love in him, and that's where it comes from because it has to come from love because if not, he's the Punisher. And the Punisher's right. boring to me. Yeah. When you really pull back and you look at, like, what makes Batman work, or at least what has made him work in our time reading comics, which is not just limited to one era. It's not like, well, in the 80s, they did it right. There's different things. Like, those patterns become very clear. But
1: the thing is, he always had a family of sorts. Like, mm-hmm. when I was reading in the 80s, the Bronze Age, you know, you had Robin and Batgirl. Yeah, and they were always around, and Alfred. There was always yeah, Les- Leslie Tompkins. And- there was always a team there, and it's just less interesting to me when he's just like you know you can do a story arc or whatever, but like yeah. when he pushes everybody away and he just he's talks monotone and he you know doesn't eat and he all he cares about is justice. It's like that's not as fun for me as this guy who puts on that act, but but none his of his family know. buys it. Right, you know? Superman isn't going to put up with it. And- Tim's like whatever. You know, right. Tim and Cassie can laugh at him behind his back because he's doing that Batman thing again. But, like, it was always nice that he had that to go home to. And, like, a lot of things the New 52 did wrong. The idea was good of rebooting, but they just the execution was just terrible. And ultimately, as good as that Batman book by Snyder was, and it was very good, what we're left with after that is a bit of mess for Batman. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's not as fun. There could be fun. There can be good. There has been. But it's just... Who Batman is and what his family is And what they represent is not there anymore But Peter is correct And Tim Drake is correct Batman needs Robin, Batgirl Alfred, Jim Gordon Harold He needs people around him to ground him And why won't DC listen to him? If we can answer that question <sighs> I would love to find out from someone Why they're all in a Damian. I would love to find out why uh.
0: Again, I don't think he doesn't fit in, but it's about how they do it. And the problem is that he replaced people who were perfectly serviceable.
1: Not even just serviceable, but very popular characters. It's just bizarre. I think that gets to
0: the, you know, Dan. Like, this is legend, so who knows how uh, apocryphal it is. You know, Dan DiDio didn't like Nightwing for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and I like, if you don't understand that Nightwing, or at least one of the Robins, is the jelly to the peanut butter, right. then you don't get it.
1: You know, it's the point now, whenever I see Batman and Robin together in adventure, I'm thrilled because it's just an image you don't get very often of them, like, swinging through Gotham together. It's just, ever since that 90s Robin book, he's been his own hero, and which is fine. Mm-hmm. And that book was terrific. Josh and I both loved that book for years and years and years. But you just missed that team up, you know. And I get it. It's not realistic. There's a guy running around in a red suit next to Batman. It's like, whatever. None of this is realistic. Like, it was yeah. just, it was fun to see. But well, you can't tell
0: me that this didn't have an effect on your pick of the week this week either.
1: Like it was Batman. Oh yeah, Josh. no, that was part of it. Was was, the, yeah. was that? I told you it, was, it felt like classic Batman. Yeah, I got. Well, I was reading it and I saw the way that,
0: that Robin was just there. I don't even know they. It's Dick, right? Like that's who. It yeah, has they said Dick.
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's Dick. It's Richard. They call him.
0: And I just yeah. thought this is what Connor wants, and it's great. Now, like as a result, I also want it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was like, I understand what you mean, and I also appreciate that. So,
1: yeah, yeah. But that's kind of the weird irony of t- of Tim Drake is that he he shows up, he makes a case for there being a Robin because this was a it was only a year after Jason Todd died, but he makes a case that Robin is needed, and then they immediately immediately shunt him off. Not immediately, he had, there was like a short period where he had to become Robin and everything, but mm-hmm. it was it wasn't super long, and immediately shunt him off into to his own book miniseries miniseries series the other uh, factor there that probably
0: is is 89 was when the the Batman movie came out and sure. so there's no Robin in Batman movie and so they maybe thought well okay in these books then we have to have Batman like the one in the movie who knows but
1: well, i'm not, so, i'm not surprised if that was a, a thing it's just funny that they make a very strong case for why Robin's important and then they, they because that case is being made by Marv
0: Wolfman who actually understands these characters you know for decades worth you know and and he's going to speak from that position
1: and I get it. If I'm in charge of the company, I can sell two books instead of one. i you know, I got to do that. But Golden Goblin. It, 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 from a storytelling point of view, from an audience point of view, it was something missing after that. I mean, you can't have Robin off in his own adventures. And also with Batman, I get it, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm always working through my Batman angst on these shows. Thanks for writing in, Peter. Contact at iFanboy.com is how he did it. That's how you get on this show. Or if you want to write for the Media Splode show, just put Media Split in the title. Or the subject line. Emails don't have titles. Why do I keep saying titles? They should have titles. They should have title pages. Hey, let's talk about the holiday schedule. We're getting towards the end of the year. Right now, Out uh, behind this show in the feed, right behind the show, is the Black Panther Wakanda Forever review, which Josh and Paul and I talked about. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Did we like it? Did we not like it? Listen and find out. And behind that show, a couple back you'll find our special edition show, Josh and I did on She-Hulk Attorney at Law, season one. This week... We told you before. Every week from the till the end of the year is going to have special edition shows. This week you'll have our final media explode of the year. What is the subject? We actually don't know, which we should figure out because we're recording in about thirty hours. So we should probably figure out what we're going to talk about. And in the holiday schedule, we have three more picks of the week: eight fifty seven in November, eight fifty eight, eight fifty nine in December. And in between that, you'll have Battle of the Super Suns uh, animated show. You'll have a final book explode of the year, which is Name More Visionaries: John Byrne Volume One. If you have the issues, it's issues one through nine of the of the Namor series from the 90s from John Byrne. If you are our Marvel Unlimited subscriber, all, all those issues are on there. So if you want to follow along at home, you can read those there. And then finally, we'll have our all media year and roundup show, which ends ends the year on December 18th. We'll be taking our break. Recharged and ready to go in January for POW 860 on January 8th. Recharged. Year 18? Year 18.
0: Year eighteen. Eighteen. The can show will be an adult. <laughs> the show can go to war and buy cigarettes. In some states.
1: Huh. Is it eighteen? Not eighteen everywhere?
0: I think in some places it's gone to twenty one. Hmm. I feel like. I don't smoke, so I don't know the rules. I <laughs> that's that's such a
1: bad argument. I don't do the I don't know
0: I know. I
1: <laughs> don't pay attention to the cigarette laws. That's
0: true. This is bad podcasting right now. Because this Uh is the thing, if you say, if two people say a thing and then both of them acknowledge they don't know, somebody at home does know and they're just clawing at their ears. That's what I, (laughs) when I hear somebody, when I hear people start to talk about a thing that they don't know anything about and there's no authority on it.
1: Listen, I don't care. So (laughs) you don't need to tell me what the cigarette law are. I don't care. I don't smoke. Don't plan on smoking. I'm well over the age no matter what it is. So don't care. (laughs) Well, <laughs> I just thought it was 18 cuz that's what it was when I was in high school and people were smoking. Let me
0: ask you this. How do you know what you're missing?
1: <laughs> it's true. I could be missing a great time. People do look cool doing it. Yeah, maybe like maybe this would be the thing
0: for you to like <laughs> like bring your personality to the next level.
1: This is the thing that's been missing all my life is the sweet taste of nicotine.
0: Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Minnesota, Mississippi, New Mexico, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Wyoming have all raged their tobacco age to 21. Wow, all right. Okay, we can go ahead and do the rest of our the ending of our show now. <laughs> I gotta go buy cigarettes, let's hurry up. In three years, the show will be able to buy cigarettes everywhere. But in one month, they will only be able to buy cigarettes in some states. You can go over to ifanbar.com to find out about our shows, the vast history of comic book writing from all of our talented writers. You ever think back at like war when so many people were like, Yeah, I lied so I could get into the war early, and they were like 16 or 17 and went to war, and no one checked? That's
1: crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. And they chose
1: to do that. It's a different generation. It's a different generation. You can
0: go to facebook.com slash ifanboy, follow at ifanboy on Twitter, and at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show on those things, so you can be prepared. Uh, you can follow Connor and I individually on Instagram at cskilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan. You can subscribe to our YouTube page over at youtube.com slash ifanboy, where you can find our entire video show archive from back when we did that as our real honest-to-God jobs, full-time entertainers. And you can find this show... Uh, every week we put up there as well, should you choose to uh, take it in in that way. And we like that you have different choices.
1: That's it. Yesterday I had a light lunch and a light dinner. Didn't plan, it just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. I've spent this entire episode starving. Right. Let's tone our language back a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> I'm just, you know. Hungry. You're downright peckish compared to many folk. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, I see what you're saying. You're not. Do you have a headache?
1: No, I had one last okay. night. Yeah, I never get—I never really get headaches, but I, had I one get last food night. headaches. I get—I get food. I get a
0: lot of headaches. I get food headaches. I get—you know—in the fall when it gets light early, I'll be in the room on the computer doing whatever, and then it will get dark outside while I'm doing it. That gives me a headache. I get allergy headaches. You seen I don't a drink enough water. Yeah, that's what Lindsay says. <laughs> it's I'm Very like sensitive. An
1: unusual number of headaches. Well, I mean, it's not all the time. Don't go out like Mark Green did.
0: Man, they fixed it. He they thought he had it. <laughs> By the way, we have we have referred to two ER doctors today, ER series doctors today, without explaining that that's
1: what they were. That's like, what fine. The fuck is, if that's you don't know, that's what can I? I can't help you.
0: Yeah, no, you don't need to.
1: Hey, if, if you like the show, consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that. Helps people find the show, and even better, that's word of mouth. People ask you what you listen to. We always appreciate it. people say I fanboy. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week's show. We've got three left this year. Next week is our big Thanksgiving episode, which will just be a normal episode. And until then, I'm Connor.
0: <laughs> and I'm a little peckish, but I'm not super hungry. I'm just so hungry. Yeah, that's fine.
1: Why can't I free your doubtful mind and melt your cold, cold heart? There was a time when I believed that you belonged to me. But now I know your heart is shackled to a memory. The more I learn to care for you, the more we drift apart. Bingo.